0: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Duncan. I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the Montreal Alouettes releasing Trevor Harris.
1: Dane Evans potentially looking into free agency.
0: The Riders reaction to the CFL introducing revenue sharing.
1: And the Chicago Bears the Bears working out a number of CFL players.
0: And Duke Williams in Saskatchewan having mutual interest in a contract extension. But first,
1: Chris Jones, CJ, back in the CFL and told the media in Edmonton that he plans to, quote, build a legacy, end quote, with the Elks and stay there for a long period of time, just like Wally Buono has done in the league and also John Huffnagel. Do you actually believe him though, Hutch?
0: No. I don't. Um, And and to Chris Jones' credit, he did mention in his press conference, he spent seven years in Montreal. And that's true. He was there for a long tenure under Don Matthews during the early 2000s. He also had a four-year stint with the Calgary Stampeders. So he's under contract for four years at Edmondson. That's not an unprecedented uh, stay for, for him in one organization. But that being said, this guy's been with six different organizations spanning three different leagues in just the last decade. Right, he had a lot of control in Edmonton, not just as the head coach, but also doing some personnel stuff there. Uh, back in 2014, 2015, when that team had a ton of a ton of success, won a Grey Cup in the second year, and then one week later, he bounces to Saskatchewan. I don't blame any Green and Gold fans for feeling at least a little trepidatious about this. Do I think Jones could stay for four years? Sure, but to me, I need to see the proof. I'm still skeptical. At this point
1: until he actually does it nobody's going to believe him but honestly i do not fault chris jones for moving around like he's done anybody in any job in any genre whatever you do in the world if you were offered more power and more money most people are going to take it i don't want to generalize and put everybody in there and what jones has done has been smart when he was in edmonton he was just the head coach yes he won them a great cup so in my mind EE e. football fan should be happy that he's back there because he was the last guy to lead them to CFL glory. Yes. He left for Saskatchewan after, but he was given all the titles and power there in Saskatchewan to build the franchise the way he wanted. And then the NFL comes around two guys that he has connections with. Freddie Kitchens gets a head coach job and John Dorsey, the general manager job. They call him up and they say, uh, Hey, Chris, Would you like to come to Cleveland and make over $700,000 USD to be a defensive assistant and potentially rise to make millions per year? Easy answer. So I get it that people feel like Jones is going to move around, but I got a PSA for you. There is no loyalty in football. Like We're talking about a lot of roster turnover year after year. You don't produce, you don't get paid. So you need to get that money when you can, and there's no salary that leads to a pension Up here, Especially on the coaching side. So I don't fault Jones at all. Don't at me on Twitter. (laughs) Hate me. Do whatever you want. But the man gets paid and he gets W's. And that's the ultimate factor here, Hodge. The Elks are under pressure to turn it around after that horrid season when Brock Sunderland was continually allowed to run that team in 2021. To me, that was a mistake. For some reason, they extended his contract. I don't know why, but this is a result of that. They want to bring in a guy that's proven who they believe can turn it around quickly.
0: And I'm not somebody who suggests that Chris Jones should be a villain or, or should be criticized heavily for moving around because as, as you laid out anybody in that position, or at least vast majority of people in that position would do the same thing. I'm just speaking on behalf of Elks fans, people who are not loyal to Chris Jones or any particular coach, people who love that team and love that organization, and were put through the ringer in 2021. Watching, so then they should be happy that Jones outfit. is
1: back there, my man, well, committing four yes, years to the franchise to turn around but after but that complete disaster that was there. And it's great to have a character like Jones in the league.
0: But that uh, I agree with the last part there, especially as a member of the media. But the last part you said, committing for four years, he said he's going to be there for four years. Board chair Ian Murray said that he would be there for four years, the full length of his contract. But for instance, he was asked, are you going to buy a house here? Jones did not respond to that in the press conference. He talked about working with with local football coaches, which would be great. It's important for any team, particularly a community-owned team like the Elks, to have community engagement. But my point is he had the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm moving here. I'm going to bleed green and and gold. I'm going to do this and that. He didn't necessarily say those things. So if he stays for four years, great. And you're absolutely right, Dunkster. The guy wins everywhere he is. But the question is, is he going to win for two years of bounce or is he staying for the long term? We don't know just yet.
1: The house question to me was really intriguing. But for people that don't know, Jones likes to be on the road, scouting, doing his free agent camps and putting his team together. So it might not necessarily make sense for him to be in Edmonton year round. That said, he would have the money to buy a house and potentially hunker down there. So I like where you're going in that respect. I mean, it's a lot to handle. we got to remember, right? Okay, the interviews came down to two finalists, Chris Jones, Ted Gavaya. They're actually staying in the same hotel room, Hodge. (laughs) Their rooms, from what I was told, were actually beside each other. They linked up with each other, obviously a happenstance, but on the elevator. So they know each other from the league, but you're competing for the same job. And what I'm getting at is that... It certainly does. But really, what I'm getting at is that Jones is going through this situation at 100 miles an hour, right? And he's just literally earlier that morning signed the contract for four years. And then he gets hit with asked about a housing question. Like this dude, you know, was in Toronto and then he had been back home in South Pittsburgh. And people can crack jokes all they want. And some of those quotes about him committing for four years might end up being freezing cold takes. On Twitter after the fact if he does leave, but still the guy's been going a hundred miles an hour, just trying to get the job. He's not thinking about buying a house there. Yeah. That's a major commitment.
0: I, and I get that. All I'm saying is he's been in that market before he should have known that question was coming. And again, he said he plans to be there for four years. And, but I'm, I'm just saying, if you're going to talk about having a legacy like John Hufnagel. Or Wally Buono, I think you need to bring a little more to your introductory press conference than, oh, I'm going to work with some high school coaches. Just that that's what I would have liked to see personally to reassure some of those fans at Edmonton that he's not going to pull uh, a 2016 over again. Dunkster The Elks weren't the only team to hire a new general manager this past week. They also brought in Sean Burke, who is essentially the co-GM of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. My question to you, which is the more surprising hire? Was it Burkey in Ottawa or Jonesy in Edmonton?
1: Yeah, it was the Ottawa Red Blacks that brought in Mr. Burke from Hamilton. And for my money, the more surprising hire was Sean Burke going to Ottawa. That's not because I'm saying he's not ready for the job, but Chris Jones made a lot of sense in Edmonton because of their football operations cap issues, right? They can get rid of Brock Sunderland's contract, but they're going to have to amortize Jamie Elizondo's over five years. And there were some other coaches there that had existing contracts as well. So Jones being able to be the general manager, head coach and defensive coordinator made a lot of sense from that perspective purely. And in my mind, hindered the Elks from potentially going with Ted Kavaya and a whole new coaching staff. So for me, that's why I go with Burke going to Ottawa, because in my mind, I felt like Burke was going to want to go to a situation where he could handpick his head coach. Now, it's all rosy and people throw out these verbal bouquets when you have the press conferences, just like what happened, Hodge, and we saw it with Berkey and Paul Apelisse and Mark Gowdy. But when you have the head coach in place before the general manager, we really have not seen that work out too well, at least in recent times and from my time covering the CFL. So the jury is still out on whether or not Burke and LaPolice can work well together and get along because there are some people that will tell you behind the scenes that it is difficult to work with LaPolice, especially in a position of power, being the head coach and him being the offensive coordinator as well, and oh, by the way, the quarterback coach, because he has certain guys that he is very stout on that he likes. So I'm curious to see, and we probably won't hear much of it, but get the intel back from behind the scenes on how these two guys are working together.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. To me, the the hiring of Burke was a bit of a surprise in this regard. Marcel Desjardins the predecessor there, who who did have success in Ottawa, having that team reach three great cups, winning one, was more of, say, an administrator than a pure talent evaluator. Every personnel individual has their strengths and their weaknesses, different areas of their background, so to speak. Burke is very much cut from that same cloth, from what I've gathered from my sources. He is an excellent organizer and communicator, but he doesn't have that hard football background where he has that assessment as part of what he does all the time. His, his priority is going to be to surround himself with top-notch personnel people in Ottawa. He certainly had that in Hamilton. That team was extremely successful with him at the helm. They've gone to back-to-back great cups and been arguably the strongest team in the East Division even over the last decade, and he's been with that organization for a long time. But to me, it was a bit surprising that they essentially went out and hired someone who is cut, again, from the same cloth, or at least comes from the same mold as someone like a Marcel Desjardins, who who they just got rid of a few months ago.
1: Burke does scout, though. That needs to be said, right? He does a lot of the U.S. stuff. He's not very boisterous about it, but you don't just sign guys to contracts without watching the tape. He's watching the tape every week. He's all over the salary cap. So that needs to be said, right? He does have a hand in scouting the Canadians that the Tie Cats have drafted, and they arguably have one of the best national talent pools in the league. That's why they've been, as you mentioned, to -to back-to-back gray cups. And you look at that front office and really the two lead guys there, in my mind, Burke was the general manager. They just didn't give him that title, partially because I don't think they wanted to pay him the money for whatever reason, (laughs) whole other discussion. And Drew Allemang, right? Those are the two main guys. They do have some other pieces there that are critical in the front office, certainly, but I don't think we can sit here saying that Burke is just an organizer and a planner and the salary cap guy. He does a lot of scouting. Because he's not signing guys to contracts and giving out big signing bonuses a la Jeremiah Masoli or Brandon Banks or Simone Lawrence if he doesn't feel like they're playing at a high level. So I really think the Red Blacks are fortunate here, actually, that they get a guy like Burke. Who has done it all? He's been with the Ticats since 2007. Started in community relations, like it's an unbelievable scenario and a story when you look at it from that perspective. And it shows you that if you stick at something long enough, you keep plugging away. You do it largely the proper way that you can get into that general manager's chair in various ways, if that's something that you covet.
0: For sure, and for the record, I'm not. I'm not saying that Burke has never scouted. All I'm saying is from what I gather, he is a little bit more in that Marcel Desjardins mold than some others, right? Some general managers do a ton of scouting and they're horrible organizers and other people have to do those things for them. Uh, But anyways, I'm excited that Burke gets this opportunity. As a Canadian, it makes me feel good when Canadians in this league get the opportunity to be general managers. Not just a Canadian,
1: a good Guelph boy, my man. (laughs) You know he's going to run that stuff right. We're talking about among the elite in Canadian football, okay? Greg Marshall, the best coach in U sports arguably right now is a Guelph native. I just had to get that in
0: there. I knew you had to get that out there, but Dunkster, do you want to know the number of CFL teams with Canadian general managers right now?
1: Ooh, two, S-
0: seven, my guy, seven, three born in the U S four born in Canada, but seven Canadian citizens. If Ted Gavia had gotten hired in Edmonton, it would have been eight unofficially. I believe that would have been a CFL record, but Chris Jones from South Pittsburgh, Tennessee is the GM there now. We got to well, take hold a on, break. hold
1: on, hold on. How okay, are go you getting it. to seven?
0: I'm getting to seven. Okay, let's let's do this. I There's do this three. Sorry, day. I
1: missed Danny Machoja Montreal, no, whoa, 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 John Burke and Ottawa. Let's go.
0: Let's let's go west to east. All right. You got Neil McAvoy from Surrey, BC. Rick Campbell, well, he's
1: co-general manager with oh, wait, 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 Rick
0: yeah, Campbell. and Rick Campbell is Spokane, born in Spokane, Washington, but has been formative years in Canada. He became a Canadian citizen years ago, so we'll count them as one Canadian GM. You got. Uh, Both Alberta GMs, John Huffnagel and Chris Jones, are are, are American. Jeremy O'Day, born in Buffalo, but qualified as a non-import as a CFL player. I'm sure he's a citizen by now, though I tried to confirm that with the team. They didn't reply. Uh, you've got Kyle Walters from St. Thomas, Ontario, Winnipeg. You've got, I'll count Drew Alamang as the GM in Hamilton. He's from Hamilton. You've got Danny Machocha from Montreal, in Montreal. Sean Burke from Guelph in Ottawa. And then Toronto, you've got Michael Pinball Clemens, born in Dunedin, Florida, but again, has been a CFL, or pardon me, a Canadian citizen yeah, for a I long mean- time. Seven teams, that's amazing.
1: We're stretching it a little bit here.
0: You don't have to be born in Canada to be Canadian. Michael Pinball Clemens is just as Canadian as you or I, my friend. Seven Canadians as the GM in the CFL. I think that's great.
1: All right. I like the research at least.
0: All right. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: The Montreal Alouettes released veteran quarterback, Trevor Harris, after re-signing incumbent starter, Vernon Adams Jr. Even after an injury that ended his season, the extension runs through 2023. Where do you see Harris playing in 2022,
0: the Well, to me, the two front runners for Trevor Harris should be the Toronto Argonauts and Ottawa Red Blacks. Now, there have been reports that Sean Burke is going to look to sign one of the two starting caliber quarterbacks he had in Hamilton. Of course, those being Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans. But if I'm the Ottawa Red Blacks, I'm looking to, first of all, fix my quarterback's position because that was a nightmare for them in 2021. And secondly, I'm looking to get a head start in the market. So to me, I'm considering Trevor Harris for that role because he's available right now. Free agency doesn't get underway for six weeks but you can negotiate with Harris and his team at the moment. The other spot is Toronto, where a 33-year-old McLeod Bethel-Thompson regressed over the course of this past season in his last five regular season starts. He threw three touchdowns to nine picks. He was okay in the East final, put up 19 points. But to me, if I have the choice between Bethel-Thompson and Harris, I'm taking Harris, who after he got out of that toxic situation in Edmonton, played well in Montreal, threw eight touchdowns to two interceptions and yeah, he's 35, a little bit older than Bethel Thompson, but he also didn't become a full-time starter till he was in his late 20s. To me, the mileage is low relative to Harris's age. So those are the two spots I most likely see Harris ending up. And frankly, I think he would make both teams better in 2022.
1: It would be quite a story to see Harris back in Ottawa after he was not re-signed by Marcel Desjardins. There's varying stories on both sides of that, how it went down. It seemed like the signing bonus was the main issue, but If he went back to Ottawa, I'm sure the Red Blacks fans would embrace him there. Toronto seems intriguing for me in terms of the points that you mentioned there. McLeod Bethel-Thompson seems like he's won over Ryan Dinwiddie as head coach, but when you have options out there, you have to at least look into them. And in my mind, Harris would fit that scheme very well, and you mentioned it. He picked up Kahari Jones' offense quickly and was productive in it. Yes, they had some ball of receivers and Eugene Lewis was going up and making crazy catches for touchdowns, but still Harris looked pretty good outside of those turnovers that he had that changed the momentum in the East semifinal for the Alouettes. I don't get the sense that Chris Jones is a Trevor Harris guy. I wondered if he could go back to Edmonton, but what based on what I've heard, unless it ends up just being Harris or nothing for Edmonton, I don't necessarily see him going to Edmonton. So The way you've kind of laid it out there, Hodge, it's like those are the teams that make sense, but you never know how some of these other quarterback situations can work out. You know, in Calgary, Bolivar Mitchell and Jake Merritt, there is a decision to be made there. In BC, you could argue Michael Riley or Nathan Rourke as well. So there's some intriguing quarterback situations, but Harris being on the open market first, and it should be said, minor detail, but an important one, Harris asked for his release so he could be in this position ahead of free agency to find his next team.
0: Yeah. And if you're Trevor Harris, I do think there are other options, you know, in the unlikely event. Let, let's let's say Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans both leave Hamilton. All of a sudden there's a gaping hole with the Ticats. If you're B.C. and and Michael Riley, let's say, elects to retire to me, if I'm sitting there as Neil McAvoy or, or and or Rick Campbell, both of whom are Canadian, by the way, Justin dunk, both of whom are Canadian. Um, I'm looking to get a veteran quarterback in right, to help guide my young Canadian quarterback. So I think there are, other, are potential other opportunities for Trevor Harris. But to me, I think we'll likely see him return. This is just my prediction, but I think we'll likely see him return to one of his two former stomping grounds. He came into the league with Toronto, became a full-time starter with Ottawa. I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up in either camp. But I think, again, he would make both teams better. Dunkster, Dane Evans, we were just talking about. Told the media that he is looking to potentially look at free agency, saying he kind of feels like he owes himself the opportunity to do that. Where do you think we'll see Dane Evans suit up in 2022?
1: First of all, of course he owes himself, man. He got tied into a contract there that was a smart one from the team's perspective. And it should be noted that Sean Burke would have had a large hand in doing that. And that allowed the Ticats to have a lot of the other talent around him on the roster to help the Thai Cats get to back-to-back Grey Cups. So for that sole purpose, Evans is due to make some legitimate money in the CFL as a starting quarterback. Is it unfair in a sense that the QBs get a bigger piece of the pie? Yes, but Evans has been behind in terms of what he should have been earning with the Tiger Cats. In terms of where he ends up, there's still some factors at play here that are going to play, in my mind, a big role in that decision. What happens, for instance, in Hamilton? Does Orlando Steinauer become the general manager and head coach in title? Do they bring somebody else into that front office? And do the Red Blacks with Sean Burke look at potentially trading for Evans to set up their quarterback situation, sort of like what they did with Nick Arbuckle so that they don't have to wait for free agency and potentially get into a bidding war? Or does Burke covet Masoli? And more importantly, who does La Police like to run his offense? So if we're going to talk about those Hamilton quarterbacks, one of them at least potentially going into Ottawa, La Police is going to play a big factor in determining that spot. I really believe one of them will be back in Hamilton unless they want to go a completely different direction. Let's say throw a Trevor Harris into the mix. And a part of it that's going to play a role too is is Tommy Condell back as the offensive coordinator? Like what does that Ticats coaching staff look like overall? Because you would imagine that, there's some teams out West, let's say like in Edmonton that, yeah, they got some quarterbacks on the roster and I've heard Chris Jones does like Taylor Cornelius, but if Dane Evans became available, you would imagine he would be a guy that Jones might want out there because he's played in two great cups, you know, didn't finish the last one, obviously, but he's shown that at least he can get a team there. And at crunch time has made critical plays, especially in that comeback in the East final, the most recent one to get the tickets to the great cup at home. So Evans is certainly intriguing and there's multiple options of where he could land.
0: Yeah. And, and let's also say, if I had the choice between these two quarterbacks in Hamilton, personally, my choice, number one, is Dane Evans for two reasons. One, he's younger. And secondly, Jeremiah Masoli is reportedly unvaccinated. Obviously, we don't know what regulations are going to look like in 2022 regarding vaccinations. It's also possible he'll become vaccinated by the time the 2022 season rolls around. But those are other factors at play for Hamilton. If I'm the tie cats, Right now, Dane Evans is my number one priority for those two reasons. But as you said, lots of dominoes still the fall. We'll have to wait for some of those things to be resolved before we can get really into the nitty gritty about how hard this Carabelle quarterback, uh, quarterback carousel is going to spin. Dunkster, one of the biggest pieces of news to come out from Great Cup Week is that the CFL is reintroducing revenue sharing, which the league hasn't had since the 1970s. Saskatchewan Rough Riders president and CEO Craig Reynolds told the Regina Leader Post, quote, I always want to think about what's in the best interest of the league. We all need a strong league to play in, end quote. Are you buying that?
1: Yes, that's facts, man. you got to have other teams to play against. Like, the Riders can't be out here making millions of dollars if there's nobody to play against. You need an opponent. So you need to make sure the league is strong. Now, I get it especially out West and with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Roughriders and the Edmonton Elks, who generally those community-owned teams turn a profit. And Wade Miller has gone on the record saying the Bombers are going to turn a meaningful profit in Winnipeg after the 2021 season. So that's all positive. But people out there don't want to see the money go to the Toronto Argonauts because they think MLSC is just going to stick in their pocket. Well, the Argos are a separate entity, and they need to be run as a legitimate business that hopefully actually one day could maybe make some money or, like Ambrosie said, break even. The fact that Ambrosie is on the record is saying, well, we hope that every team can break even has to give you pause for concern around the league, but that is one of the steps to get to the point where ideally in this scenario, all of the teams are coming up with a profit if you have that horizontal governance that Ambrosi's is talking about. I don't necessarily think that the horizontal governance governance is the way to get there. How do you know more about that than I do? But I do think revenue sharing should make the league stronger and potentially entice more owners to be at least intrigued with the prospect of buying CFL teams.
0: Well, and, and we don't know the details of how this revenue sharing looks. The league has it announced and they haven't been reported anywhere. We're going to work on that, of course, to try to bring our readers and listeners some details. But I remember talking about this issue with people a long time ago because Jake Goddard, arguably the greatest commissioner in CFL history, said back in the 1970s, if it wasn't for revenue sharing, the league would have folded. And the 70s are often referenced as a heyday. Of the CFL, right? That's when the CFL was an economic juggernaut. They were competing with the NFL for for talent and paying these salaries. And now, you know, some people who criticize the CFL look down on the CFL, say, "Ah, well, it's not where it was in the 1970s." Well, if revenue sharing was necessary then, it's certainly necessary now. And there's ways that you can structure it that don't just involve right fans in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg and Edmonton cutting checks to billionaires in Toronto you can do things and set up mechanisms an example i'll give is well what if to access revenue sharing funds you have to provide receipts and say hey look we've spent 1 million dollars in marketing this year this is how we spent that money now we're going to access the pool of league funds and here's how we plan to use them, right? You can have accountability between teams. It's not necessarily just a matter of, oh, hey, we lost this much. We're going to need you to cut a check, make it out to this person piece. So there's ways that you can have mechanisms and accountability, as you said, that horizontal accountability in place to avoid situations where have not teams are simply taking advantage of the have teams.
1: From my understanding, that's exactly what's going to happen, right? There's going to be structures in place, checks and balances to ensure that the teams are actually losing as much money as they're saying, and also sort of benchmarks that you have to reach to get that money. And then when you get it, how are you going to spend it in terms of trying to actually make money in the next year? So there's going to be a process there. It's not just going to be a handout of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, Do you I, reported I that? The-
0: By the way. I got one problem with all of this. A big problem, and that's that they weren't doing it 25 years ago. Thank goodness they're doing it now. Better late than never.
1: Yeah, it's about damn time, man. You reported that the Chicago Bears hosted a number of CFL players for a workout. What can you tell us about it?
0: Well, this is a complicated situation. I'm going to have an article up on 3 Down Nation on Wednesday outlining the NFL window, but for the for the unfamiliar, the NFL window is essentially an opportunity for CFL players to try out for NFL teams and potentially get signed. This is a new thing. It was in place from 1997 to 2012. It recently got reintroduced and essentially any player, regardless of whether or not they're under contract for 2022 and beyond can try out for NFL teams. There was a lot of confusion with my report. One of the involved players, Devonte Dedman, the league's reigning most outstanding special teams player was one of the guys who was worked out by Chicago. And People said, wait, what? He just re-signed with Ottawa. How is this possible? Well, if you are under contract for 2022, you are still permitted to audition for NFL teams. The only rule is you can't have received bonus money after Grey Cup. Grey Cup took place on the 12th of December. Devontae Devin re-signed with Ottawa back in November. So yes, he received a signing bonus from the team, but because it became uh because it came before the deadline he has the opportunity to go down and have workouts and from what i understand he's got a ton of workouts deandre alford defensive back in winnipeg's got a ton of workouts there's lots of guys brady and lennius the uh, Canadian slot back with Saskatchewan, he's got a bunch. Taylor Cornelius and Evanson was there. Malik Henry was there for Calgary. So it's an exciting opportunity for CFL players to get that opportunity. As much as I know, CFL fans don't necessarily want to see their favorite players leave.
1: Yeah, it's a positive for the league overall. And I feel like when you say complicated, Hodge, people get worried, but it's real simple, right? Boil it down to the easiest, understandable way is that after the season is over now, There's going to be a period of time. I believe it's roughly a month or two where guys can work out for NFL teams. If they're offered a contract within their window, then they can go and sign it and take their shot. If they do actually end up really getting to NFL training camp. So that's as simple as it gets, right? Any player doesn't matter how long you're under contract for has a window after every year. And that's to the player's benefit, right? You can make millions in the NFL, in the CFL, you can make hundreds of thousands and that's if you're the elite. So even if you're really good in some cases, (laughs) You know, you're know you barely making over $100,000. So this is to the player's benefit. I get it that people don't want to see the players go down there all the time, but in reality, the amount of guys that actually go down there and end up sticking is a handful at best every year.
0: There, Some of the complicated factors are probably bigger issues for the players and agents. For instance, there's roster bonuses, off-season bonuses, signing bonuses. There's all kinds of financial factors at play but the other thing i want to assure fans is players cannot opt out of their cfl contracts to sign in the nfl and then sign with a different cfl team if they're released and i'll give you an example let's say tomorrow Devonte Deadman hypothetically is offered a contract by the chicago bears so he opts out of his deal with ottawa if the bears cut him let's say in february he can't then go and sign a gigantic deal with the Calgary Stampeders, Edmonton Elks, or, or whichever other team. He has to return to Ottawa, and he has to return under the original deal that he signed with them in November for 2022. So you're not going to see CFL players signing in the NFL and then coming back to Canada with different teams, unless, of course, they are already pending free agents in 2022, in which case they were going to have the opportunity to sign anywhere in canada anyways i hope that makes sense um it's a new thing this hasn't been here for a while but i agree with you dunkster at the end of the day the nfl window is not only good for the players i think it's good for the league overall because from the agents i've talked to down south a lot of them with this new window are more excited than ever to send their clients to canada we got to take a quick break when we come back it'll be time for hodges heritage moment On this day in 1986, New Orleans Saints rookie running back Ruben Mays rushed for 61 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries in a 33-17 loss to the Minnesota Vikings. It marked the end of the greatest single-season rushing performance by a Canadian player in NFL history, totaling 286 carries for 1,353 yards and eight touchdowns. The North Battleford Saskatchewan native was invited to the Pro Bowl that year and named the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year. Dunkster, personally, I think it's a crime that more Canadians don't know that a guy from North Battleford, Saskatchewan not only made the NFL, but rushed for 1,300 yards in a season and made a Pro Bowl. I think that is unbelievable.
1: And was the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Ruben Mays, if you don't know, go and Google this dude. Is one of the best Canadians to play football that our country has ever produced, bar none. And as you said, it's pretty cool that he's from North Battleford, a smaller town in our country. And we're obviously made of big cities and small towns. It's pretty cool that Mays made it all the way to the big town. In the outfit no from North. Okay, no it.
0: like, like it's one thing if a Canadian from Toronto does it or Vancouver. I'm not suggesting it's not meaningful when Canadians from big cities, but North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Gotta love it. And speaking of places where you can go to get things done, you got to take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube winters here. We're at, I think today's the winter solstice. It's dark out. You gotta go to Jiffy Lube. They're gonna take care of your vehicle with all the fluids, filters, lights, anything that you need done. They're gonna take care of you. Beautifully. Jiffy Lube, a wonderful partner of ours. Make sure to visit them this holiday season to get your ride working well.
1: Get it all ready to go, greased up, and ready for that winter season, my man. Jiffy Lube, you know what it is. Go in there, in and out, in a jiffy. 15 minutes, you're back on the road to wherever you're going this holiday season.
0: It's now time for the three minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. The Riders and star receiver Duke Williams have mutual interest in a contract extension. Do you think they'll get it done?
1: Uh, There might be some other interested teams if he gets the free agency, (laughs) but I could see it happening. Just purely based on the fact that him and Cody Pajardo really got on the same page quickly. Chris Jones likened coaching in the NFL to being a kid going to Disney World. So that makes me think, most kids when they go to Disney World, they want to go back again. So does Jones want to go back to the NFL? Is that what
0: say it? I was just going to say that, man. The first time I went to Disney World, about a minute after leaving, all I was thinking about was my next trip to Disney World. So yes, this should give people pause. The Owls announced that receivers coach Robert Gordon will not be back in 2022. Is that a good change?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say, man. We're not behind the scenes grinding the tape. I thought it was a positive to have Flash Gordon on the staff, but in my mind, Tahari Jones has been forced to make some changes. Mickey Donovan was one, and it seems like, sadly, Flash is the latest. The Elks re-signed former all-star halfback Aaron Grimes. Coincidentally, it happened just before they hired Chris Jones, a dude that I believe brought him into the league. So it's a smart move, right?
0: I thought it was a smart move because Brent is a good player, but I thought it was interesting. The team was resigning players without a uh, CEO, president, GM, or head coach. Interesting stuff. Brandon Banks says he can't see himself in anything other than a tie cats jersey. Think he'll be back for another season in the hammer?
1: I do. I really think a lot of his issues in terms of production being down had to do with injuries. He took that big shot in the end zone at Tim Hortons Field against the Argos that bruised some of his ribs and really limited what he can do. So I think they'll bring him back. It'll be at a bargain right now. The CFL already released its full 2022 schedule, going back to a complete 18-game regular season, hopefully. Is that a positive sign?
0: I think it is, but we got to see where this COVID thing's going because uh, this Omicron variant is not looking positive for the short term. We'll have to wait and see what that means for the long term. A Hamilton sports bar is looking for help to identify a man who allegedly punched a 75-inch television. Dunk, have you ever punched a TV?
1: No, closest thing is throwing my video game controller after a frustrating loss, I'm sure, with the boys back <laughs> in university, but never punched TV. Uh, you? please tell me you have.
0: I, I, I once got the opportunity to throw a television into a dumpster. It was one of the most satisfying things
1: I've ever done. <laughs> there you go. So you like breaking stuff.
0: <laughs>
1: breaking stuff is-
0: and breaking news. There you go.
1: Hey, I like it. Trevor Hubbard has reached the 500-yard rushing mark in his rookie season with the Carolina Panthers and is on the verge of having a top 10-year overall in terms of rushing yards among Canadian NFL players. Man, how cool is that?
0: I think it's great. He's got a big opportunity this year with Christian McCaffrey missing so much time due to injury. Obviously, he's got a long way to catch Ruben Mays at 1,300 yards, but I think he'll make some history this year yet. Last one, Dunkster, this is hot off the presses, just announced before we sat down to record. The CFL has suspended Toronto Argonauts defensive back Chris Edwards for six games following a post-game altercation with a fan at the East Final. Now, it should be noted, Edwards is under contract with Toronto for 2022. This means if they choose to keep him on the roster, he's going to miss the first third of the 2022 season. Do you think that that is too many games, not enough games, or the perfect amount?
1: Well, before I answer that question, it's clear to me that the CFL has taken their time and done an investigation here because to hand down a six game suspension. And as you said, miss a third of the season, that's going to hurt Edwards in the pocketbook. And it might even make the Argos think about, well, is it worth keeping this guy around? I mean, he played at such a high level at the strong side, linebacker position that they probably will, but in my mind, six games shows that the CFL means business. We don't want to see players going into the stands. I know there was some people saying, well, the Argos actually have to walk through a part of the stadium. And yes, that's true to get back to the locker room. But he was outside of those gates that are set up to go directly from the field to the locker room. So six games for me sends that message. You could have argued it should have been more, but the minimum in my mind was going to be in this area.
0: Well, let's also remember, historically, the CFL has almost never, under any circumstances, suspended a player for more than two games. Like You have to do something extremely flagrant to get a multiple-game suspension. So it being a six-game suspension dunkster, I was surprised at the severity, but I don't think it's too severe as you outlined, Edwards was obviously out of line in this altercation. And I think the CFL did a good job of sending that message with the six game suspension, certainly because had they handed down a one game suspension for this, I'm sorry, that would have been nonsense. Um, so six games, I think they got it right.
1: And it should be said though, Hodge, that there likely will be an appeal process here because if you're Edwards, you want to at least explore that route and see if you can knock it down. So that's probably part of the CFL's thinking is that if we give them six to start, appeals it maybe it gets taken down to four because as you mentioned it in the past it's really difficult to get more than a two-game suspension so i think that needs to be part of the discussion here is that edwards is well within his right to appeal the six games
0: and he is and we'll see what happens it is a lot of games the third of a season and i he's not going to be paid for those six games which is a huge hit as you said to his pocketbook but We'll have to wait and see. It'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting thing to follow this offseason as we head into 2022 because there's not many players under contract for next year dunkster, but Chris Edwards happens to be one of them. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We will see you next Wednesday.